You are listening to the sermon audio podcast of Journey Church Tampa. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy it. Just by living out faithfully in your faith. Um, and so anyway, this is where it starts. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you because you're gracious and you're good and you're holy and you're kind. Father, we just love you. Lord, in, the, in, in all of the craziness of life and everything that's going on, Lord, we just take a moment and we just say that we love you. Lord, we thank you that even if this week has been a phenomenal week, this week has been busy, this week has been busy and bad or busy and good, whatever it may be, Lord, you've been faithful through all of it. So Lord, we honor you. We come before you today and we realize that it's not our sanctification that justifies us, but it's our justification that leads us to sanctification, that we're justified because of what Jesus did on the cross not because of our behavior. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are good and you do good. Show up, let your spirit move, do things that no one else in this room can do. I pray that people would have encounters with you. They would be touched by you. They'd be ministered to by you. Father, I pray that you would change financial uh, direction this morning. I pray that there'd be generational curses, things that mindsets would be broken off of people. Father, I just pray freedom and just a spring in our step as we leave today. So, Father, we love you. We give you glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone with me said, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, just find a couple people and give them a compliment, if you would. So, how are we this morning? Are we doing well this morning? So I need to add a little something to my prayer because I forgot it, if it's okay. So Father, make us hungry for spiritual food. Search the conscience. Convince the mind. Win the heart of those that hear and may the glory of the kingdom of God be advanced in your loved ones. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There we go. I just felt like something was missing and there we we have it. Um, So it's supposed to rain pretty hard for like the next hour and a half, two hours. So I feel like it is my job to keep you warm and dry. So we're just going to preach until the weather passes. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) You guys clap because you know I'm joking. But if I was serious, where would that end up being? Where would that end up being? But anyway, so we're, we've been breaking down. I've been breaking down. For those of you that are new, by the, name, uh, by the way, my name is Michael Kiker, and uh, I'm the, the teaching pastor and vision pastor here at JCT. And uh, we've been working through the Holy Spirit series, and this is week seven. 
And we've been going through Acts 2. We talked about the day of Pentecost. We talked about when Peter preached uh, this message over the last really good Friday and then uh, Easter Sunday and how this message had an impact on their lives and what happened. Thousands of people gave their life to the Lord um, in one fell swoop. Thousands of people were baptized in the matter of an hour. And then this organization, uh, this spiritual family, this community called the church was formed. And this is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets fun. This is where it gets crazy. This is where it gets wild. And so we're going to take the next six weeks and we're going to break down this particular passage of Scripture. And we're going to talk about the different things that made the early church so successful. And then we're going to build off of that. And then we're going to lead that straight into Pentecost Sunday. And then we're going to have a good time on Pentecost Sunday um, where we're going to do baptisms on that Sunday. Um, so yeah, so that's our playbook for the next few weeks. Um, I just encourage you to come be a part of it. If for uh, some reason you miss uh, any or have missed any of these series uh, or sermon in this series, you can go back and you can go on our Facebook page or you can go on to our podcast. Um, our podcast just uh, passed over 3,500 downloads um, really within the last year or so, year and a half. And so uh, people are really gravitating to it, and I'm thankful for that as, as the Word of God is continuing to go out. So let's talk about this uh, scripture for just a moment. I don't want to be long with you. I just want to preach uh, for a few moments. I'm going to talk with you about how to overcome the fear of man or the approval of man. Um, and we're going to talk about that in the context of Peter and some of these other guys that are actually preaching and with some of these other women that are teaching and leading. Uh, but what we see here is that the Holy Spirit falls. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And we see it come in like a rushing wind, a rushing fire over the top of their heads. It was crazy, so much so that it attracted this crowd. The crowd came running, and some made fun and said, these, these people are drunk. Uh, and then Peter stands up and says, no, this is not by any means people are not drunk. It's the middle of the morning. But this is what the Lord promised. This is what our forefathers promised. This is a prophecy being fulfilled. And so this is what's going on. And then Peter preaches this incredible message. He challenges everybody and says, listen, this is Jesus whom you cru crucified. The Jesus you crucified, that's right. You crucified him. Um, and now what we see is that he was buried and he was raised again from the dead. And now he has come to give us life. He promised us the spirit of God. And so what you see within a matter of hours, what you see within a matter of hours, the prophetic words of Jesus have come true. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that's not just a promise for Peter, but that's a promise for the entirety of the church. And so in a matter of a few moments, in a matter of a few moments, all of a sudden this non-existent church, this non-existent community that was really kind of about 119, 120 loosely gathered people, uh, became overnight this church, this organization. So imagine with me um, if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, I just want to give you this set of twins. They're now yours. Good luck. 
How many would agree with me? Like, oh my, one baby, no way. Two babies, whoa, triplets. Now imagine at your doorstep thousands of little infant baby Christians that you're now responsible for. And this is Peter's job description. So Peter's sitting here going, I thought I was just going to preach. I didn't know I had to actually take care of these people. It was not true. Peter knew. Peter knew because he was thinking about the back onto the beach when Jesus said, do you love my people? And this is what he was talking about. Do you love my people? Do you want to minister to them? Do you want to teach them? Billy Graham said this. He said, we need God's power. And I believe that with all of my heart. But God needs manpower. What he's saying with that is not manpower in the sense of us physically accomplishing something, but a people, a body, a group of people that is yielded to the Spirit of God, that people can be used by the Spirit, man can be used by Spirit. And here's what you see, Peter now with these thousands of little infant Christian babies walking all over the place, this new church having to form, and now he's having to lead it. The work was just starting. What you see a lot of times, especially when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, everybody loves to talk about the day of Pentecost. That's the the big story. That's the headliner. That's what everybody gets all the excitement from. But the reality is, is that what you'll see in your life is that the Holy Spirit will be moved, will move. There'll be an incredible season of God's presence over your life. And then you are blessed or promoted with a season of pruning. You'll have that life where you come in. And so you start to see them form this church, and you start to see them have all of these different questions and this idea the church was birthed, it was formed, and the hard work was just beginning. The Holy Spirit had, came, had come to empower the believer or the follower to become more like Jesus in a world and an age that pushed against everything that Jesus wants in the life of the believer. Now, let me just stop for just a second and talk about what's going on in Jerusalem at this moment, what's happening within the Roman Empire. This literally is a powder keg scenario. I mean, in every single way you could possibly imagine, there was just ready to blow. There was political tension. There was political divide. The Jews hated the Romans. The Romans hated the Jews. To get assigned to this outpost as a governor, as a leader, basically was almost a punishment or, per- or perceived as a punishment because the Jewish people were so lowly, no one really wanted to be responsible for governing them. And so when you see that, you experience that. Later, 40 years after Jesus' uh, after Jesus's death, there was an uprising. The Jewish people led this uprising thinking that they were going to overthrow Rome, and Rome came in and destroyed everything. They raised the temple to the ground. Political tension, political ideology, there was a caste system. Some theologians believe that the Romans were taxing the Jewish people almost 80 to 90 percent of their personal income. I mean, imagine being under that kind of like pressure and strain. And so here, these Jewish people that had lived in this ancestral land that God had given them were now being taxed by these Roman invaders through the nose. They couldn't establish anything of depth. They couldn't uh, pass on anything. They were literally living hand to mouth. And here's Peter now having to lead this church in this difficult political climate, this, this political climate that was just so on edge. And now he's having to teach these baby Christians how to live a new way, how to live a new life. Matthew 28 and 16 
Verses 20, uh, 16 through 20 says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gave them a blueprint. He gave them a map. We have in the church found this to be called the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do is to go out and to share the gospel. There's a key component here, a word that I want you to see, and it is that we are called to go into all the world and make disciples. We're not called to go into all the world and make converts. So there's a big difference between the way that Peter and John and all of these different men would lead. And we have to understand that. There, there, there are key differences between the way that these men lead and what you'll see, uh, honestly, um, in the American pastoral tradition or the Western pastoral tradition that we see today. These men were not concerned about Instagram followers. They were not concerned about building their base. They were not, making, they were not concerned about selling their merch. What they were concerned about was that the church would give their life to Jesus and then follow him in such a deep way that they would now become disciples of the way of Jesus Christ. What was called back then, it was called the way. It was called following the way. You have to understand something. For, for almost several hundred years after Jesus died, the early church was not marked by the cross. They did not use the cross as a way to identify themselves. That was something that came way, way later. They actually used the fish to actually determine whether or not that Christians were there. So if you were walking through the streets of Rome and you would see a fish symbol, you would realize that there were some Christians in the area. You knew that they were around. Why? Because they took Jesus at his word when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that if anyone wants to come to the Father, they must come through me. They also took him at his word and said this, that if you eat from me, if you drink from me, you will never be hungry, you will never thirst ever again. And so they said, you know what, we're going to use this fish to demonstrate the faith of the faithfulness of God to his people. And so they would have had a different approach to this. Now, you have to understand something. Peter, John, and James, and all of the people that were with Jesus knew this because Jesus had taught them on several occasions. He goes, listen, they're going to hate you. They're not going to like you. But do not, do not fret, do not fear, because if they do not like you, it means that you're like me. And if you're like me, it means that someday, somewhere down the road, you're going to reap this bounty, you're gonna reap this harvest. And so one of the things that I want you to see, there are three things about these men and women in the New Testament that led the church that we need to understand. And number one is that they talked differently than what we are used to. They talked differently than what we are used to. They just were very blunt. They were very open. They were very direct. They didn't hold anything back. They weren't concerned about hurting feelings or they weren't concerned about upsetting. They were just very serious. So if you read Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John are out ministering throughout the city or Acts chapter 4 or when we get into Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7 when he was stoned, what you see is that these men were very serious. They didn't pull any punches. They didn't hold back. Like I said, they didn't care if they lost followers. They didn't care. Uh, what was going on. They talked very differently. I read the scripture to you on Good Friday, but in Galatians chapter 1 and 10, it says this, am I, now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? 
or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. They knew the end from the beginning. They knew that there was going to be a different purpose for their life. Number two, these men and women knew that preaching the gospel would cost them their lives. They, they didn't have any kind of mindset about glory or fame or money. They knew that this would end up with them losing their life. Peter was told by Jesus, he said, listen, when you get old... You're going to be carried by the hand to places that you don't want to go, and then you're going to end up giving your life. And one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we were just kind of having this conversation, and I was going, man, the faith that Peter had, because when Peter did finally die, they crucified him. And they crucified him, and when they came to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy to be crucified the same way that my Savior was crucified, so make sure and crucify me upside down. Now, if I was you, you know, would you agree with me if you, you and me were in that situation? I don't want to be crucified, period. Does that make sense? But Peter knew, he didn't try to talk himself out of it. He knew that Jesus had shared with him, he said, listen, man, you start going after people's idols you're going to become a marked man. People are not going to like you. So Peter was crucified upside down. James, they didn't like what James had to say, so they took him to the top of the temple. They threw him off the top of the temple. That didn't do the job. It just broke his leg, so then they stoned him. John, they tried to kill John, and they put John in a vat of oil, and he just basically sat in that thing like it was a hot tub. So they were like, look, okay, we're going to exile you to the island of Patmos. They exiled. These men knew the beginning or the end from the beginning. They knew that their lives. And i got to be honest with you. There's something radically freeing about knowing that your life is completely and totally 100% freed up just to serve Jesus in that magnitude. They do not have to worry about what other people think. You don't have to worry about what's going on. And so these men and women knew that they're preaching, that the preaching of the gospel would cost them their lives. Number three, their singular life focus was on the building of the kingdom of God. That's all that they cared about. I love this quote by Rusty Rustenback, which is such a cool name, Rusty Ruskinback. He said this, he said, you and I live in an age when only a rare minority of individuals desire to spend their lives in pursuit of objectives which are bigger than they are. In our age, for most people, when they die, it will be as though they never lived. This idea of Christianity. So they wanted to start the tone off strong. They wanted to establish something in here deep. They wanted to call people to the gospel. They wanted to establish something on the inside of them that was so beautiful. And what I, and I've been sharing with you over the last, really the last year, what I've been thinking, I think what God's been doing in the church is he's been sifting. And we've been seeing this sifting between people that have attached their theology to politics. This, they've attached their theology to nationalism. They've attached their theology to liberalism. They've attached their theology to all of these different things. And what God is doing is he's sifting that out and he's saying, I'm looking for a group of people that don't care about the crowd. They don't care about the followers. They don't care about how they look. They don't care about how they sound. They don't care about how they dress. They don't care about what they drive. They don't care about what their hair looks like, obviously. They don't care about any of that stuff. What they care about is honoring me with every single fiber of their being. A church marked by the Holy Spirit moving on the inside of them. I love this quote because over the summer, sadly, we had a ton of pastors that fell into sin, mega church pastors and leaders, guys that were real, real rock stars. 
And a guy wrote this quote, and I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Tune in for just a second and really listen to this. It's a quote by Ben Sixsmith, and he actually wrote this in an article talking about uh, religion in America and the idea of what it would look like if the church was different and how it uh, responds. But look at this quote. He said this. He said, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. I respect that. I respect that. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. That stings a little, don't it? And so what you see is this church that's trying to be cool and hip and this church that's trying, as opposed to a church that's saying, what is the inner quality, the inner value of our life? What does it look like to sit in silence and stillness? What does it look like to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to be like the world and strive and hustle and try to do my thing, but I'm going to wait for what the Lord wants to bring into my life. One of the reasons why I think we're so agitated is because we keep trying to do things on our own that only God has himself can do. Or we try to put our hands on things that God doesn't want us to have. And then we get very frustrated Richard Lovelace said this, and this is something that we have been talking about a lot, especially in 2019 when we made some transitions here at the church, but it talks about pastors in this day and age. And it said this, that confronted with this kind of violent reaction, and what he's talking about in this chapter was that when pastors tried to lead their church to actually worship, and his idea was Spurgeon said that pastors that can't get their church to worship resort to entertaining them. And so he's kind of dealing with this, and he's saying pastors that, that have, have done this, and you've seen this, and this is why we don't necessarily feel, we feel like something is just sick with the American church. We can sense it. We don't know what it is, but we can just feel it kind of in our bellies. But he says this, that confronted with this kind of violent reaction, these, the reaction that the pastors get from their people when their people are like, no, 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 don't make me feel uncomfortable. Don't challenge me in my sin. Don't call me into a different place of my marriage. Don't call me into being faithful. I want to be successful. When pastors get this kind of violent reaction, and, I've had, and trust me, over the years, I've had this reaction toward me as well. But when confronted with this kind of reaction, they seek to mold their congregations into instruments of evangelicalism and social healing. Pastors gradually settle down and lose interest in being change agents in the church. An unconscious conspiracy rises between their flesh and that of their congregations. It becomes tacitly understood that the laity will give pastors places of special honor in the exercise of their gifts if the pastors will agree to leave their congregations' pre-Christian lifestyles undisturbed. And do not call for the mobilization of lay gifts for the work of the kingdom of God. Pastors are permitted to become ministerial superstars. Their pride is fed and their insecurity is pacified, even if they are run ragged. And their congregations are permitted to remain uh, uh, herds of sheep in which each has turned his own way. 
And so you see this kind of popping up all over the place, and people are starting to go, this, there, there's something that's unhealthy, but the early church, Peter, John, James, Paul, these men and women, you see Apollos, you see uh, Junia, all of these different leaders held a different standard. They believed that their life, in this particular life, meant more if they were actually pursuing this next level of relationship with Jesus. The pursuit of that changed lives. And so the apostles had to have a different framework for how they lived their lives. They had to. There was no way, because if Peter stood up on that day of Pentecost and said, man, I really want these guys to like me, could you imagine how that would have a different effect upon that day? Or if he stood up and said, I really want to make sure that I don't step on some toes, or I want to make sure that I don't offend anyone, or I don't want to make sure that they're uncomfortable. If he would have stood up and done that, would we have seen people pierced to the heart? Would we have seen, I don't know, we don't know that. But what we do know is that every single one of us, no matter who we are, we crave approval. And so the question is that I have for you is whose approval do you crave? Whose approval do you crave? Well, if you're a spiritual leader, you can crave, you can crave the approval of your people. You want to make sure when people leave, man, that was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. My life has changed because of you. Yes, I know. Thank you. Thank you. It was all me. I did every bit of it. The Holy Spirit had nothing to do with it. I did it all. The spiritual leader can crave the approval of their people. If you're a millennial in here, it's your peer group. I've seen millennials care more about what their peer group thinks than anything else. Lose sleep because a friend is upset. Even if their friend is wrong, they'll lose sleep over it. That millennials care deeply about their peer, uh, peer group. If you're an artist, it can be blank community, whatever blank community that you're trying to fit into or become known in. If you're a wife, you can seek your husband's approval. And if you're a husband, you can seek your wife's approval, whatever that looks like, vice versa. We can even seek the approval of our kids. That's why we don't tell them what they need to hear. We don't discipline them when they need it because we're afraid that our kids won't like us. But the apostles showed us the way to true contentment, the idea that they can be completely content, and that was the only approval that we should ever seek or ask is the favor and love from our Father. That that is the only way that we could actually really have true contentment in that. The great uh, theologian Will Smith, everybody heard of him before? He said, we buy things that we can't afford to impress people that we don't like. The idea that we are constantly seeking other people's approval. I was having a conversation with uh, someone a while back, I think it was about six to eight months ago in the middle of the pandemic, and they were talking about how uh, they would get very frustrated if this particular individual would say something or be around them all the time. And I said, listen, you have to understand, if you live your life that way, you're only one bad conversation away from anyone from losing your peace and losing your joy. And how many would agree with me? Jesus has not called us to live like that. That he's called us to live a life of peace that's completely free from what others people, other people think or what other people want from us. John chapter 12 and 43 said this, that this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees, these moral, this moral compass for the community. And these people were moral. There was a group of Pharisees that were called the bloody Pharisees. And essentially, uh, the reason why they got that nickname was because every time they would see a woman walking in the other way, they would close their eyes because they were afraid. They really believed that their eyes would cause them to sin. And they believed that it was the woman's fault. I mean, agree with me, that's some terrible theology. 
And so they would close their eyes and they would bump into walls and they would bloody their nose and they would bloody their forehead because they would see a woman. How many would agree with me that, that that's not the moral authority that you want when it comes to leading the church? And so Jesus is talking about them and he said this, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. See, a lot of times we talk about us praising God, but we don't realize that God also wants to shower his praises on us as well. That he also wants to say, man, look at my daughter right there standing there praising me. Look at my son standing there praising me. I'm going to bless them. Look at my kid. I mean, I can just imagine Jesus literally just calling over the angels and just boring the snot out of them going, look at him, look at him. Oh, isn't that cute? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You guys get a two-year-old. You're posting pictures of that kid all the time on Facebook. They do something you think is just so amazing. The rest of us go, that's normal. He walked across the room. Okay, we get it. But you're like, look at how he walks. He walks so amazing. No kid has ever walked in the history of walking like that. We love that. That's Jesus talking about us, celebrating us. Proverbs 29 and 25 says this, that fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. That our hope, that our trust is in the Lord, not in man, not in contracts, not in our salaries, not in any of those things. It's good to have those things, don't get me wrong, but we trust our whole heart is in the Lord, that the Lord keeps us safe. And so the Holy Spirit is a living, breathing friend. He's a seal and a sign and assurance that we confidently have been approved by him. And Jesus is our friend, and he is with us to the end of the age. And I'm really thankful for that promise. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And number two, we have a comforter that will walk with us through all of life, good and bad. That that's essentially the seal, that sign. And number three, we don't have to look at, our, our, at man. Our eyes can be fixed on him, that our eyes can be completely 100% fixed on him. And so we have to ask ourselves, whose approval do you crave? Whose approval do you crave? Lecrae said this, and I love this quote. He said, my desire for acceptance is one of the crosses that I carry. And each morning I have to attend a funeral my own. I have to wake up and once again die to my desire for people's approval. We're constantly looking for people's approval all the time. And, and listen, this isn't something that, we're, that one of us is guilty of. This is something that we all have to walk on and so, or walk through. And so whenever we're doing that, Jesus is saying we have to die to those people's approvals. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us, God has called us to do something for him. The only thing that is stopping you is not God's provision because he's waiting to give it to you. It's not your giftedness or your talent because you can't rely on that anyway. That will fail you at some point. It's not how smart you are because guess what? There's someone smarter than you out there. It's not your talent because guess what? There's someone that's talented. All he's waiting for you is to come to the end of yourself and say, I don't care any longer about anything except just living my life 100% for you. 
So I kill those desires. I crush those desires. And here's what ends up happening a lot of times. We end up stop trying. And we saw this this last year. People out of fear and loneliness because they were so lonely and so fearful try to control circumstances and try to tear down and try to attack and try to come against in the whole nine years. But here's the thing. Come at it. Attack. Try to destroy. Try to deconstruct. And for all of my friends that are into deconstructionism, any of that kind of thing, I'll tell you like one of my friends says all the time about deconstruction. He said, deconstruction is a lot like going to the Vegas Strip. It's good to visit. It's a terrible place to live. And so the idea that we can sit around and do that kind of stuff, but the reality is, is that we can fight, we can rebel, we can resist, we can point fingers, we can talk about whose problem it is and whose fault it is, but at the end of the day, God is saying, I have given you the keys to the kingdom of God. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you loose on heaven will be loosed on earth. Whatever you bind up, the keys are in your hands, and no one can make you open up or use those keys except for you. It is on you. And when you understand that, there's something about a, a sense of ownership that comes over you. I get it. I really do. Trust me, my childhood was not the best in the world. I, my church history was not the best in the world. I can talk to you all day about church hurts. I can talk to you all day about leaders that have failed me and disappointed me. I can talk to you about when I lost my mentor because of sexual sin. I can talk to you about having to fire one of my best friends because of sex. I can talk to you about people that have disappointed and drop the ball. I can talk to you all day about people that said, hey, pastor, I'm behind you. I can talk to you about betrayal. I can talk to you about absentee dads. I can talk to you about abuse. I can talk about to you all of those things and we can share those stories. And guess what? Those stories are real and they're powerful and they need to be discussed. But those stories cannot be more powerful than the new story that God is wanting to write in your life. The story of freedom, a story of victory, a story of hope, a story of breakthrough, a story of being able to say, I used to be anxious, but I'm not anymore. I used to be broke, but I'm not anymore. I used to be hurt. I'm not anymore. I used to hate my wife, but I love her now. The idea that the Spirit of God has come to bring life. The Holy Spirit didn't come in here so you can have good church. The Holy Spirit came in here so you could take it out the door with you and see real change. That's the God that we serve. And y'all going to make me preach in here, man. And all the Baptists said. <laughs> so let me finish with this. Let me ask you this question. What would you do? What would you attempt for God if you were not afraid of what man thought? Write it down right now. Don't think about it. Don't, just write it down. Write it down. I don't have something to write down, find something, write down. Make a middle note, you got a phone. Get your phone out, write it down. What would you attempt for him? What would you do? What would you write? What would you post? What would you sing? What would you shout? How would you live? Where would you move? What would you do if you were not afraid of man? What would you do if you didn't have that voice in the back of your head telling you that you're going to fail? So this question is, and this is where you have to ask if you want to dethrone people or ideas off of that approval idol. You have to ask who, and sometimes more importantly, what is on the throne of your life? That's where it starts, okay? What is on the throne of your life? 
And we'd say something, religious cliches are not gonna cut it here. Jesus has to be on this throne or nothing else will work. And, and you go, well, pastor, it feels like you say this about every three months. I need this reminder daily. <laughs> but who's on the throne? Is it the money? Is it the talent? What is on the throne? And when you kick that thing off the throne, you start to see the Holy Spirit work. And, and man, it's painful. It's painful. It took the, 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 some of my kids this last week. We went hiking. And uh, we went to hike Mount Mitchell. And we, uh, I, I've never hiked it before. And I always love doing a new trail. There's something about it. You just, you never, you never know what you're going to do. You're always, you get lost a few times. There's something beautiful about it. But there's like 30, I don't know, 3,800, 4,000 feet of elevation gain. It's 5.6 miles. And it's just like this, just uphill, switchbacks, the whole nine yards. And how many ever worked out and your body started yelling at you? And is going, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? Man, my calves were screaming on the way down. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? That's our flesh. Our flesh does not like it when the spirit comes and starts to rub against it. That's where that uncomfortable sense, that uncomfortable feeling comes from. When our flesh is hit with the Spirit of God. We don't like it. Everything within our body, and, and our calves screaming, our muscles are screaming, is our body's way of protecting us and saying, hey, what are you doing? You might hurt yourself. Stop that labored breathing. And our spirit is a lot like that. Our flesh is a lot like that. Our flesh doesn't want to die. Our flesh wants our own way. Our flesh wants to make sure that that thing is on the throne. And when, it, when we start trying to dethrone it, it starts to scream and yell and go, what are you doing? But here's the thing. Every single time that we do that, whatever Jesus places in return of that is so much better. And so when you get down, you go, man, I hated every second of that. There was something about it, but I'm glad that I did it. And that's a lot of what our spiritual journey is like. The second thing is we have to enjoy the slow and beautiful process of taking our hands off of the control of our own lives. My wife, my lovely, beautiful wife, hates roller coasters with a passion. And several years ago, we were at Busch Gardens, and she was giving one of our kids uh, a very great, strong, motherly lecture about not letting fear take control of your life. And you need to go, you need to ride this roller coaster. You need to make sure that fear doesn't take control of your life. So being the loving, supporting husband that I am, I said, you're right, babe. Let's go ride this together. You want to? And so uh, she was like, well, what do I do? Should I just say, no, I'm not going to do that? Or am I going to take my advice? So she, her own advice. So she got on the roller coaster with me. And I did not think the roller coaster was bad. It was Gwazi at Bush Gardens. You may know what I'm talking about, the old one. It's the wood roller coaster. How many enjoy that roller coaster? How many find fun on this? So I'm saying it's not bad. It's not a bad roller coaster. And so we were going down the first hill, and she buries her head literally into the back side, like in the back, so her head is back here. And then all of a sudden, I feel this pain shooting up the back of my arm, down my arm, up over my shoulder. She bit me. <laughs> she bit me. <laughs> she bit me. 
She literally bit me. She bit me. And then the rest of the way, all you hear is her screaming, Michael Kiker, you lied. You lied. The whole way through. And of course, man, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would take every bit of that pain five times over just to enjoy that experience. She came out of it. And so I got off and I was like, babe, that was fun, wasn't it? She's like, that was the most horrible thing ever. I can't believe it. She's very frustrated about it. But here's the thing. When you start to look at a lot of your spiritual growth is there's going to be some roller coasters and there's going to be some moments where you hate it. There's going to be some good moments and there's going to be some high moments and some low moments, but every bit of it is an adventure and that the Holy Spirit is going to take you through. You start to understand the slow, beautiful process of taking your hands off of controlling your life and letting Jesus be in control. Number three, stop concerning yourself. And this is a big one. Stop concerning yourself with people that have made up their mind to misunderstand you. Man, I can tell you this over the years. When, when, I was, when I very first started the church, I was 27 years old. We'd have people come in, and I was too young to be their pastor, which I understood. To be honest with you, 27 is, is young. We had a very old church at that point, which was crazy to me. Most of our church probably was in the, in, in the 60s at that point, 50s, 60s, somewhere in there. We had, we had like this wide gap where we just didn't have a lot of 30s and 40s. Not much like our church now. Our church average age, I'd say, is probably 34 to 35. We were missing that age group. We had a lot of older people, a lot of younger people. But we'd have people come, and they'd go, you're too young. And then as I've gotten a little bit more gray hair, people have come in and go, you know, we're looking for a younger pastor. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be too spicy for some people. You're going to be too loud. You're going to be too introverted. You're going to be too extroverted. People are always going to have their opinions about who you should be. But guys, let me tell you something. Stop trying to be what everyone else around you wants to be and just start being who Jesus has called you to be. You'll find freedom in that. You'll find freedom in that. So we have people that will come to church and they'll go, man, Pastor Michael, uh, I don't resonate with Dan. And I go, you know, okay. They'll go, I don't resonate with you. I don't resonate with Pastor Corey. I, I don't resonate with Pastor Cheryl. She's a woman. I don't resonate with Pastor Val. She, she's, she, she, she gets with me. She gets on me. I, I don't like when this person leads worship or that person leads it. Here's the thing we have to be very careful about. Just because it's your preference doesn't mean it's good. We can take our preferences and elevate them to where they're good. But your preference doesn't trump what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I've never walked into church that I can remember and walked in and went, man, there's a woman leading worship. Or they're singing a song that I don't like. Or that guy shares too many stories. I've got to be honest with you. If I had my choice... Every single Sunday morning, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir would be up here. We'd worship for about an hour and 45 minutes. There'd be flags. There'd be people running. There'd be a pool here where people may or may not jump in and out of during worship. I love worship, man. I mean, I love worshiping. I think worship, when we talk about worship with our bodies, it needs to be a full contact sport, man. 
There needs to be a mosh pit here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. But I never walked in here and went, ah, oh, it's not a choir, man. I can't hear from the Lord. I can't hear from the Lord. I've been having this conversation with a lot of people, so I'm not singling anybody out, but I can't, I can't worship. Or I can't, you know why? Because here's what I've learned about the Holy Spirit, man. He wants to move no matter who is leading, no matter who is teaching, no matter who is singing, that if you open up your heart to him, he will minister to you. And so we don't walk in here going, who's preaching today? We walk in here going, man, the Holy Spirit is here. Who's leading worship? Uh, It doesn't matter. I just know the Holy Spirit's going to be there. They're going to read a liturgy. That's not my thing. But I pray it becomes your thing. I don't like emotional worship. I pray that God does something in you. and, And the preaching man would be the driest, most heady preaching ever. And the moment they told a story, I'd get it and walk out. But that's my preference. And see, the thing is that with the early church, they were not marked by preference. They were not marked by Burger King Church. I'm going to have it my way. They were marked by a church that says it is his way or it is no way. It is his way or no way. So if you're a leader here, or you're listening to me and and you're from another church, stop concerning yourself with people that have made up their mind to misunderstand you. You start being the God, the the man or woman that God has called you to be. If you're a fireball, be a fireball. If you're quiet, be quiet. You be who God has called you to be, and I want you to know that you're welcome here regardless of what's going on in your life or regardless of who you are because we don't love you based off of your personality. We love you for you. And the last thing, and I got to go. Fourth thing to breaking the approval is trust, trust, trust. Even when you can't see God's plan, trust, trust, trust. We're so used to instant feedback that we think that if, if someone doesn't immediately say, that was amazing, that we feel like that it's not that great. But several years ago, I stopped judging a Sunday service. How can you judge a Sunday service immediately after? Is like going to a concert and going, you know, those guys did a great job. I mean, you can do that. You can go and say that concert good, concert good, concert bad. But we're talking about the living, breathing word of God. We're talking about something that has to sit in you. We're not talking about a nice little neat little sitcom where everything kind of goes to heck at the first part of it and then toward the end everybody's laughing and we leave to a laughing track. We're talking about real life. You want to know if we have good church or not? If we're ministering to the homeless in our community. If we're giving of our finances. If something that we're saying is causing you to lose a little bit more of that idolatry in your life. If you leave and you feel a little bit more affection for your husband or for your wife. If you leave and there's a little bit more of Jesus and a little bit less of you, that's how the service is good. 
And you know, the thing that I've learned just to set you guys free in some of these things is some of the best services that we've ever had on the outside has been great. It's like, great, it was fun. But some of the worst worship experiences in the natural where every technical issue in the world happens, I can't seem to get anything out of my mouth right, the worship team's all over the map. People will go, I don't know what it was, but man, I felt a breakthrough in me. And that's just the Holy Spirit showing up and saying, hey, put all your trust in microphones and cameras and lights and all that kind of stuff, but I'm still the one that does all the work around here. Does that make sense? Trust, 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 trust. You say, well, does that leave room for doubt? Absolutely, it does. Trust anyway. Go ahead and stand with me. Worship team, come and help me this morning. We are so glad that you were able to listen in to the Sermon Audio Podcast. For more information about our church and all that is happening, visit journeychurchtampa.com 